Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Hey guys, welcome back to Storytime Podcast. I am your host, Haley Lira, and today I have something just blah. I am going to tell you guys about the senseless murder of a 23-year-old college student named Jesse Valencia, and you will not believe who perpetrated the crime. Seriously. So before I jump right in, I just want to thank everybody for tuning into Storytime Podcast. This is a really fun hobby of mine. I love doing it. If you don't mind, go check out Storytime Slayer on Facebook and go ahead and give it a like and a follow and get on Apple Podcasts and leave that five-star review. I know honesty is always the best policy, but five stars sounds great to me. And let's jump right in. Jesse Valencia was a 23-year-old college student in his junior year at the University of Missouri. He was originally from Kentucky, that's where his family lived, and he was one of three children plus the only boy. Something about only one boy is so special. I only have one boy and I'm just like, oh, that's my boy. Valencia's mother described him as energetic, outspoken, and drop-dead gorgeous. He did model after high school, but knew the longevity of a modeling career was much less that of like an attorney. So he sat his parents down and he said, Hey, I want to go to law school. And that's got to be like every parent's dream, right? So he attended the University of Missouri, leaving his family behind in Kentucky. So he's not at home anymore. He moved away. He's alone. He's out in the world doing his thing. So Jesse studied pre-law and journalism while he worked at the campus in Motel. Very important detail about Jesse is that he was openly gay. Everyone knew his sexuality. In a forensic files episode, they actually describe him as flamboyant, dramatic. Um, He sounded like he could be the life of the party, very energetic, fun, spontaneous, just a really great person to be around, very fun and very openly gay. I keep saying Jesse was this and Jesse did that because Jesse was found brutally slain June 5th, 2004, nearly blocks away from his campus apartment. Matt Finnecane was a neighbor of Jesse's that lived across the street and down the block from him. And it was June 5th, around 2 p.m. when he found Jesse lying really awkward position in the grass between his home at 1513 Wilson Avenue and the home of 1517 Wilson Avenue. Now, I did a Google Street View and it looks like this is called college housing. So college housing, my dad used to live in these sometimes and it's where they have like a joint kitchen sometimes and maybe a community bathroom or separate bathrooms. But in turn, you have lots of um, spacious private rooms to rent. This was in a college town member. This is to for the college Mizzou. And the houses were so close together that it was originally theorized just by first glance that he could have possibly fallen from the roof, trying to jump from one roof to the other, or maybe even jumped off the roof. I mean, this is a college town, college party. The neighbors immediately called 911 because Jesse wasn't just laying there. Like I said, he was in a really awkward position and he was in a pool of blood with an obvious wound around his neck that looked like at one point it had been oozing blood, but the blood was now dried and it was all the way down to his shoulders. He was shirtless and blue running shorts. Now, In the meantime, an officer named Stephen Arthur Rios arrived at work and actually asked his sergeant what was going on. He'd heard that there was a murder in town. And the sergeant confirmed that there was a murder and they were pretty sure it was a gentleman named Jesse Valencia. But they hadn't yet had the body identified. Now, Officer Rios actually knew 
a Jesse Valencia because he'd arrested him a few weeks before. Don't worry, I'll get to that arrest later. So the sergeant sent Officer Rios to the crime scene in his, um, he had not yet changed into his police uniform. He was still in uh, regular clothes and he identified the victim for the police. Afterwards, he returned to the station, got in uniform, and then helped work the crime scene during his shift at work that day. After a medical examination, it was determined that Jesse had ultimately been killed by a knife wound to his throat. It was a long cut, I think like four inches, and it was believed to have been done with a serrated knife because of the degree that it severed his veins, his jugular veins, um, his neck muscles on the side of his neck, and it even nipped and left like an, a little indentation or something in his spinal cord. He also had several contusions, which is a fancy word for bruising, to his left ear, jawline, hips, arms, chest, upper back, shoulders, and knees. And what's really strange, though, is he had no defensive wounds, um, and he had hemorrhaging consistent with someone who was unconscious during this throat slicing. So um, it looked like he had been killed while lying down unconscious. So, like, what happened? Who killed him while he was unconscious? And how did they kill him unconscious? Did they sever a blow that rendered him unconscious? Did they drug him? Like, how did he get this four-inch slice through his jugular vein all the way to his spinal cord and have no defensive wounds and not wake up? That's so weird to me. Officers continued their investigation while they waited on forensic answers. And when they went to Jesse's apartment, the door was open, but nothing looked disturbed. Under a pile of dirty clothes and or trash, I think, they found a used condom. And they were like, oh my gosh, this could have been a lover's quarrel. Like, what a big break. So they ran the DNA and it came back to Jesse Valencia and a man named Ed McDevitt. So immediately, Ed McDevitt is a person that the police have to talk to. Did they have a lover's quarrel? Um, what maybe just a fight. So looking at Jesse's phone record, they saw that Jesse had in fact been in contact with Ed McDevitt a few times that evening. Now, when they went to speak with Ed, Ed did say that yes, him and Jesse did have a physical relationship, but I don't think they were boyfriends. I think they were just lovers. Ed was looking suspicious. A used condom belonging to him at Jesse's home, they looked under Jesse's fingernails and they did find traces of Ed's DNA, but they also found traces of a third unidentified male's DNA. Ed said he hadn't seen Jesse for two days and Ed's roommate did confirm his alibi that Ed and his roommate were together all night the night that Jesse was murdered. So what I'm going to tell you next is kind of wild. Jesse was for sure living his best college life. He had lots of friends, and so the police were pushing people to come forward with any information. Well, a friend of Jesse's did come forward, and he had something really shocking to tell them. The friend's name is Andy Shermerhorn, I believe is how you pronounce it, and he and Jesse were friends with benefits. Um, it's kind of funny because I was watching a Forensic Files episode, and now remember, this crime took place in 2004, Middle America, and the investigator on the show said something along the lines of, this is something hard for a lot of middle Americans to understand, but they were not boyfriends. They were just friends that had sex sometimes. Of course, I'm sure police thought, oh shit, Andy Shermerhorn has got to be the mystery man number three under Jesse's nails. 
but he wasn't. And more so than just Andy Sherman coming forward to say that he was another lover of Jesse's, he had something very, very interesting and important to tell them. He said that one night he was at Jesse's apartment and they were in the middle of intimacy when somebody knocked on Jesse's door. I think either one, the person let themselves in, or two, Jesse opened the door. Either way, Andy said, in comes a police officer. I think Andy recognized him because, for one, this is a small college campus town. For two, remember I'd mentioned some of the officers would have to come to the parties that they had. So I'm sure people are pretty familiar with the faces of the officers around town and around campus. So Andy said that him and Jesse were in the middle of sex when this dude shows up but Jesse didn't send the guy off he was like oh it's cool and he asked this mystery officer if he wanted to join in on sex with Jesse and Andy and the police officer did afterwards the officer got up and got dressed and he looked at Andy and he told Andy that he could not tell anybody about this this was a secret but like I said Andy recognized this police officer he didn't know his name but he knew for sure he'd be able to recognize him in a photo Up until this point, Andy did keep it a secret. But after this shocking statement to the officers, they actually take Andy back to the police station to look through photos and figure out who this police officer is. They can't believe one of their own could be involved in this murder. And you're not going to believe. Just as they pass down a hallway taking Andy into this room at the police station, Andy actually passed the police officer that he recognized from Jesse's house that night. And so they take him into the room. He sits down and he's like, hey, guys, um, the police officer that I'm here to identify, we literally just passed him in the hallway. And the officer that Andy was talking about was Stephen Arthur Rios and Stephen Arthur Rios was the police officer who identified Jesse's body and worked his crime scene. Um, Police were a little taken back. They said that there was no way, right? And not to mention officer Rios was a 23 year old police officer married to a woman who just had a baby. Like how shocking. So we have our next person of interest and Jesse's mother was actually able to verify that her son was in fact in a really weird entanglement with a local police officer. Jesse never told his mom the name of the police officer, but um, he would say that like this guy would ask Jesse a bunch of questions to get to know him. Normal questions, I'm sure. Like, where are you from? Where do you live? Blah, blah, blah. But if Jesse asked the officer anything, he would be extremely vague. So like, For example, where do you live? And he'd say close by, shit like that. Who is Officer Rios? Okay, so he worked for the Columbus Police Department for three years. As I mentioned, he was married and he had just had a baby. His fellow officers were completely shocked that Rios could even be involved in um, an affair with this murder victim, let alone be involved in a murder. He was respected and thought to be like a really competent police officer. He was still a person of interest, no matter how much they did not want to believe that he was guilty. And so they questioned him. He immediately denied having a sexual encounter or affair with Jesse. It wasn't until officers told him about the eyewitness and statement of his involvement in a sexual encounter with both Andy and Jesse. Officer Rios then admitted that he was, in fact, having a sexual affair with Jesse, but he swears he didn't kill him. He says that he'd been at home in bed with his wife and agreed to submit a DNA sample. So after some questioning, he was released. They really didn't have anything to hold him on, and I'm sure they were trying to give him the benefit of a doubt, being a fellow officer. 
So in the meantime, the medical examiner decided, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to take one last look at Jesse's body. Just one more look. And interesting fact is the longer a body sets and drains, the more visible bruising is on the skin. So Jesse now had visible bruising on his back between his shoulder blades and across his chest. So side note is I love when stuff like this comes together in an investigation. I did an episode called Coward Craig and the perpetrator was caught because of post-mortem bruising. Law enforcement realized this bruising was now very visible and consistent with a police chokehold called unilateral vascular neck restraint. And its purpose is to render the person unconscious within seconds. Um, this is a police officer's restraint that looked to have been very poorly executed on Jesse because Jesse was able to fight his assailant and struggle when you're supposed to be rendered unconscious within seconds if you don't do the chokehold the right way or the neck restraint the right way. Um, it can cause an intense bruising from the victim struggling. So, guess who never passed the restraint course and therefore could not use such defense tactics on the field? Officer Rios. He sucked at this restraint. And that rung a bell for investigators. So far, they have some pretty good circumstantial evidence. Um, but luckily, they got an even better break in the case. So, Rios had submitted DNA evidence, right? And his DNA was the third suspect found under Jesse Valencia's nails. The nail DNA was not enough, though, because there was another man's DNA that was found under Jesse's fingernails. So, even though the DNA under the nails, the sordid affair that even though Officer Rios was married... And the unilateral vascular neck restraint that looked to have been um, performed on Jesse. All of that's pretty circumstantial. But they finally got their break when they found three really small hairs on Jesse's chest. They were consistent with the genetic makeup for an arm or a leg hair. And they still had the root with traceable DNA. Sweet. They found these three hairs on Jesse's chest and they were tested and they belonged to none other than Officer Rios. So it really was no surprise to me when I found out Officer Rios was the one who did this. But my big next question was like, why? When did the affair start? How did they cross paths? What's going on? So all of this started two months before the murder of Jesse. Police had been dispatched to an apartment several times in one night for a noise disturbance. It was a party. Some people were ticketed, but Jesse and his friend were actually taken into separate squad cars. Jesse with Officer Rios and his friend with the other police officer, and they were both given a court summons for obstructing justice. From there, Jesse walked home. So no, they were not arrested and taken to the police station. They were just basically taken in squad cars to be ticketed and then they left separately from there this happened in like the wee wee hours of the morning and wee wee and so later that day jesse was on his shift and he said to his friends or co-workers that whoever wrote him the ticket for the summons was coming to pick him up from work to kind of have a little rendezvous hangout and his friends actually hid to see if and who this officer was and if he'd really show up probably like oh my god no way come on let's hide out and see if Jesse's you know for real and they actually did the officer did really show up and um, he was identified to be Stephen Rios people did see Jesse and officer Rios together 
And then May 8th, 2004, Jesse's good friend, Joan Sheridan, had been out drinking and she wanted to go home, but Jesse lived much closer. And so he offered her to go ahead and stay at his place, chill, turn in, go to bed, and that he would come come back to his apartment later. Well, around 3 a.m., Joan is getting ready to go to sleep and she hears a knock at the door. Thinking it was Jesse, she gets up, goes to the door, but she was really, really surprised to see the police officer in street clothes at Jesse's door. And according to her, she said that he actually was like, why are you here? And she told him what was going on. And then he offered to give her a ride home and she declined. Thank goodness. But that's still so weird to me. So Jesse wasn't there. The police officer left. So this is another eyewitness that can place Officer Rios in the vicinity of Jesse or his apartment. Now, fast forward to May 20th. Jesse had to go to court for this stupid summons. And it said he physically interfered with a government investigation to which he pled not guilty. And they gave him a pre-trial court date. I think this was understandably freaking Jesse out. Jesse thought this was just like a little thing for some college party. He did not think it was going to be this big of a deal. And he for sure thought it would have been dropped by now. Especially because he's been fucking this police officer who wrote him the damn summons. Now, it was just dumb college party drama, whatever. But Jesse told his friend Joan that the police department would maybe like to hear that the officer's secret if this ticket did not go away. And it's very likely that he blackmailed Officer Rios with this same information. Maybe not the intent to follow through, but I mean, damn, he was probably like, dude, if you don't drop this ticket, I'm going to out you, right? On top of Jesse's frustrations about this ticket, he later said something to his friend that he thought Officer Rios might be married. And if so, he was going to break off whatever fling they were having. Um, where this police officer could basically just show up any time to Jesse's apartment for sex. So what many people believe happened is that Jesse kind of reached a boiling point with this whole weird situation that had been going on for the last two months with this officer, Stephen Rios, and he likely confronted him about being married and possibly threatened to expose him to everybody if he, A, didn't get the ticket dropped or whatever weird thing transpired in this argument. And to which Officer Rios probably, out of fear, lost his shit and killed Jesse. He clearly used the vascular neck restraint. And once he rendered Jesse unconscious, he sliced his throat. Between multiple eyewitness statements of seeing Rios at Jesse's apartment at different times, the medical examiner report and DNA evidence leaking Stephen Rios to Jesse's murder... Oh, not to mention the motive and his super shitty alibi. I was laying in in bed. I hate that. Former officer Stephen Rios was charged with first degree murder and criminal action. His trial only lasted a week. And according to Murderpedia, following a week long trial, the jury found Mr. Rios guilty on both counts. He was sentenced to life imprisonment without parole on the murder count in a consecutive 10-year sentence for armed criminal action. He burst into tears when he was convicted. And in case anyone's wondering, his wife did adamantly stand by his side and say that he was at home with her and that he wasn't guilty. However, 
what's weird is, okay, this sentence was overturned in 2005 by the Missouri Court of Appeals due to a hearsay evidence. But at his second trial, he was still found guilty of second degree murder, which this happened in 2008. And the second time sentence was life plus 23 years. So he did become eligible for parole in 2035. Um, He still maintains that he did not kill Jesse. They did have an affair, but he is not a killer. Listen, y'all, ain't no way that officer did not kill him. No way. And I feel so bad for his wife because one, to find out your husband who you just had a baby with, who's a damn police officer, not only cheated on you, he cheated on you with a man and then he fucking killed the guy. He'd be glad he was in the state's custody and not mine. So... Anyway, guys, thank you so much for tuning into Storytime Podcast. As I told you guys, a giveaway is coming up. I'm just trying to spread the word and and uh, hype everybody of my listeners up before I actually post it. So please, like I said, go follow Storytime Slayer on Facebook so you don't miss that. And I will talk to you guys next time. Bye.